This episode is sponsored by Anchor, the official host of Wellness and Wanderlust. Anchor is the easiest way to create your dream podcast. With Anchor, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other popular podcast apps. You can even make money from your podcast using Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop with everything you need to make a podcast. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey there, Wellness and Wanderlust listeners. Thank you for tuning in this week and sharing this part of your day with me. If it's your first time here, Wellness and Wanderlust is all about finding those practical ways to live our happiest and healthiest lives. We have heard from some amazing experts for more than a year now, and this week is no different. I apologize for releasing this episode a little later than usual. I just had my COVID booster shot, and I've actually been having some mild side effects this time around, a little more so than the last time. So I've been moving a little slowly on everything. I'm still so incredibly grateful for the gifts of modern medicine and to be able to do my part to stop the spread of this disease. Make sure you get yours scheduled if you are in one of those groups. Life is starting to feel more normal again, and I'm just so happy to be able to protect myself and to protect others in this way. Now switching gears, I am so excited to introduce you to this week's guest. We are chatting with Erin Thorpe, who is a leadership coach and author of Inside Out Empathy. In our conversation, Erin and I talk about the role that empathy plays in our communication and leadership styles and why emotional intelligence is so important for leaders to develop. She shares ways that we can improve our empathy muscle without taking on the feelings of the entire room, tips for navigating difficult conversations, how we can handle conflict with our superiors, and how we can lead with empathy without being taken advantage of by others. It is such an important conversation, and I am excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's dive into our conversation with Erin Thorpe. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited to chat with you and really dive into everything that you're doing. But before we really get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? I always feel like this is a bit, you know, like filling out an online dating profile or something. <laughs> I'm never quite sure what to say. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, my name is Erin and I live in Canada. I'm actually from Calgary, Alberta, and I live here with my family. We've got three teenage children. And for 20 years, I was a construction engineer. And recently, uh, well, I guess in the past like four years, I sort of got bit by this leadership bugs specifically around some feedback that I had been given most of my career that I was too emotional. And so was digging in to kind of figure out how to overcome that and, you know, what I needed to do to kind of quote unquote fix it. And what I ended up discovering was that it was one of my leadership superpowers, we might call it. And I guess the rest is kind of history. The last four years have felt like a bit of a blur, writing, speaking, uh, coaching, and just really diving into how to leverage empathy as one of our leadership superpowers. I think that is so incredible. And as a woman in the workforce, I've definitely heard the two emotional comments made, mm -hmm. especially I think about female colleagues. I'd love to know what, what did you find out about that? And you know, how does empathy play into our leadership? So I guess what, what I discovered about myself was, so I used to try, to try to hide everything. I was working in a male-dominated industry. You know, when emotion was expressed, especially in a more feminine form, let's call it, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of sort of tears and, and big emotions that it, I just think that there's a feminine expression of emotion that's much different from a masculine expression of emotion. Not necessarily that men and women do it differently, but just that feminine versus masculine energy. And so for me, when that came out, it made a lot of my colleagues and clients and people that I was working with very uncomfortable. And so for many, many years, the feedback that I would get in performance reviews was always, you know, you're a great leader and you have a lot of potential, but you really need to figure out how to fix this emotional side of you. And I thought that fixing it meant getting rid of it or learning how to control it. And so for a lot of years, I tried to do that. What I discovered 
at kind of a turning point where I was like, if I'm going to stay in this career, I need to figure out like really what's going on because I can't keep getting this feedback. And I was starting to get more and more blindsided by my emotions. I would be in the middle of a meeting and all of a sudden be crying. And I'm like, I don't have any idea why, you know, it seemed like it was a bit, the expression that I was having and what I was feeling didn't seem to match the situation I was in, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so as I sort of dug into it and started to do my own inner work, what I quickly came to realize was I wasn't spending the time to actually feel my feelings. And so they would kind of, if you imagine kind of shaking a pop bottle, you know, like it's full Mm -hmm. and, and you keep shaking it and eventually that lid's going to blow off. That's kind of like me and, and how I dealt with emotions uh, in, in the early part of my career. So anytime I felt upset by something, or even if when I felt good by something, you know, I really tried to stay neutral and in the middle and not express and not emote. And what that did was it just caused everything to kind of build up inside of me under this pressure. And then so when I would be in a situation where I might feel a little bit upset or a little bit of joy, the whole thing just blew apart. So in learning that, lots of ability to kind of go, okay, now I know what that's what that's all about. What I had to do was then start to actually feel my emotions on a more regular basis and learn how to talk about them and express them when they were in the moment, not bottling them up and keeping them inside and then letting them explode all over the place and be really messy. Mm -hmm. I can completely relate to that. And I would imagine so many of our listeners can as well. I mean, even fairly recently kind of readjusting to being back in the workplace and being on a project Mm -hmm. that I wasn't particularly thrilled with how things were going and kept it bottled up for a long time. And I remember storming out of a meeting and I'm usually, you know, I think of myself as pretty even tempered, but I really had been bottling it up, bottling it up. How do you suggest and what did you learn in this process of how we can feel the feelings in the moment, express them, but do it in a productive way rather than the complete bubble over? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think this is where the practice of empathy really started to take shape for me. And so in order for me to start dealing with that outward expression, I had to start doing the inner work. And so I I think there's two parts to this practice of empathy. There's this inside work that we have to do with ourselves so that we can then go out into the world and practice it with other people. I don't buy into the belief that you're either an empath or you're not. I think the word being an empath, I think there's certainly people who can feel energies and who can feel into, like I can walk into a room and tell you if there's something off about the energy in that group of people. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely feel that. And what I was doing was I was taking all of that on. It was getting all mixed up with my own emotions and I wasn't dealing with any of it very well. And so what I had to start to do was figure out what was mine and what was other people's right? Really learning how to separate Mm -hmm. that. And in order to do that, of course, I then had to start working with my own emotional landscape and really digging into and doing the work around my own feelings. What I've discovered about that is, you know, it doesn't always have to be with the person that caused the feeling. Basically, there are all kinds of situations and all kinds of people and challenges that cause us to feel things. For me, what I learned is I didn't have to necessarily deal with the feelings in that moment, but I had to go back and revisit it. So sometimes that was in my journal. Sometimes that was with a professional, you know, therapist. Sometimes it was with my coach. Sometimes it was with my husband. Sometimes it's with a best friend. Uh, Sometimes it's just letting myself feel it in a safe space, like in my bathtub or in the car or on a walk, and then just expressing the emotion and getting it out. So if I was angry, yelling, if I was sad, crying, you know, if I was frustrated, just letting that feeling come through and not, not try to contain it by trying to make it smaller. So I think that that was probably the biggest first step was just figuring out how to let myself feel what I was feeling so that it didn't come in and taint or muddy the waters in other situations. And once I could start to really figure out what was going on with me, And this goes to even things like I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm sleepy, I need to move my body, I'm any of those things, really learning to figure out what is going on in our bodies and in our in our physical bodies and in our emotional bodies, and being able to be okay with whatever that is, not making it right or wrong, just accepting that this is what needs to happen. Then I could start to go into my leadership 
and now start to do this with groups of people and team members and go, okay, so let me help you explore how you're feeling and how it's impacting the way that you're showing up. That's something I can certainly relate to, especially, you know, going into a room and picking up the emotions of other people Mm -hmm. and sometimes letting that affect the whole day and needing to really take that time to decompress on, you know, maybe on your own or maybe with a trusted person, but really being able to work through those feelings because they're, I, I know there's the phrase, you know, highly sensitive person and I I hate using that, but I I do think that that's something that a lot of people do experience where you're you're feeling the feelings of everyone else. So how do you suggest practicing this empathy outwardly without letting everyone's problems kind of bog you down as well? Yeah, uh, I want to answer this question in two parts. So the first part I think that you kind of touched on is one of the things I discovered that I want the listeners to kind of know is that whether your emotion is messy and outward like mine was or bottled up and never shown, which was what I was being told to do because that is in, in the construction world, that is very much the traditional way that emotion is expressed is it's not expressed at all. They're both symptoms of the same root problem, which is we are disconnected from our emotions themselves. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I want to make sure that people understand that just because somebody says, oh, I don't, I don't have messy emotions doesn't mean they don't feel anything, right? They just Mm -hmm. have a different way of dealing with it, but it's by cutting themselves off from it. So this practice of empathy towards yourself really is for anybody, wherever you are on that spectrum, whether your emotion is very messy or your emotion is very closed off, we all benefit from really getting curious about our own emotions. Once we realize that and we start doing our own work, then we can take it out into the world. And the way that that went out into the world for me was just being able to think of, so if I'm sitting down in conversation with somebody or I'm in a room of people thinking about, and I used to do this early on, I don't have to visualize it quite this way now because I have some ingrained patterns of behavior. But initially what I had to think about was like as if there was a bowl. So if you and I were sitting across the table from each other, there would be a bowl in the middle of the table where we would be putting the content of the conversation, right? So whether that's the feelings, the situation, the facts, the stories, all the things that are happening in that conversation. And at the end of the day, that bowl gets to sit there. Nobody has to walk away with it, right? So that is how I initially started to practice not taking on everybody else's emotional concerns and emotional being, right? was really picturing this container that would hold it all and then trusting that it could just stay there. Secondary to that is really developing this mindset and really working on deepening the belief that all of us are whole and capable and worthy and able to take care of ourselves, you know, really at at the fundamental level that nobody that I'm sitting across from is actually broken and needs to be fixed. Because one of the things that actually stops us from being able to practice empathy is that we believe the person sitting across the table from us or that we're in conversation with is deficient in some manner and they need us to fix them. Empathy is not about fixing people. It's about connecting to them emotionally and trusting that, you know, if they need you, they'll ask for it, right? They'll tell Mm -hmm. you what they need. But our job isn't to run in with our superhero cape and help them out. The help is truly in listening with them. I think that's so important and something that we... You're, you're right. I think we do often go in with the mentality, and this is, I think, a very masculine energy as well, of trying to fix the problem or fix the person rather than, I think, holding that space for them and letting them – because I think half the time – I know for me personally, there there are a lot of times where I just need to be heard Yeah, and to be understood. Yeah, because you you know what you need to do, but you have to be able to express Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, so they, the two go hand in hand is once you start working on your emotion and you start expressing your emotion, then it becomes easier to let other people do it. The piece we have to figure out in the middle is, is this boundary piece of not taking it all on and thinking we have to do something with it. So the container visualization really helped me. And then really deepening this mindset belief that this person is fully capable of solving their own problems. They just need me to listen. 
Absolutely. So, you know, you've written about leading with empathy, and I think this is such an important quality that I think leadership, you know, we, we do talk about emotional intelligence, I think a lot more than we ever did in the past. But I think this leading with empathy concept is something we don't talk about enough, but is something that if you asked anybody, would you want an empathetic leader? I think that's something that 10 out of 10 people would say, of course. But can you explain to me a little bit, you know, what are some of the practices of someone who leads with empathy? And you're right. There's been many studies done and everybody says, yes, I want an empathetic leader. I want to work <laughs> in an empathetic organization, right? I want the organization mm-hmm. to practice empathy. I want the leaders to practice empathy. And those studies show that productivity, creativity, innovation, inclusion, all of those things are positively affected when there is empathy inside the leadership team and the organization. Also feel burnout and intent to leave. So meaning I want to leave this organization decrease exponentially when there is empathy inside teams and organizations. So there's a huge amount of research that says, yes, people want this. So how do we do it as leaders? That's the magic. (laughs) That's the silver bullet and the magic money question. It's like any other skill. I often uh, relate this to, it's the same as going to the gym, right? You need to start practicing small incremental movements that are going to slowly build up this ability, this muscle inside of you, which is your empathy muscle. It's not about doing 20 quick push-ups and all of a sudden you've got jacked biceps. It's not going to work like that. So the practices are really this commitment to, it starts inside. So yeah, the way I write about empathy is there's this inside practice and this outside practice. So for ourselves, we have to practice being mindful. So what are we bringing to the table? Am I tired? Am I hungry? Am I having a big emotional, you know, am I already feeling quite on edge or heightened in that way? So we have to know what we're bringing to the table. So being mindful about that, we have to connect into our common humanity. And that's part of recognizing that we're all whole capable beings, but also that we all have inner battles that are going on that we don't see and we often don't share, but everybody's got a story, right? And then really learning where we judge ourselves the harshest, because that is where we judge others the harshest. So those are sort of the inner practices that we do with ourselves. When we turn empathy outwards as leaders and start to demonstrate it to our teams, so the practices there are really learning how to take perspectives, how to be really curious. So curiosity from a place of humility, right? Really seeking to understand, but also seeking to be influenced by what's happening right? How can I take the perspective you're sharing with me and have it change or modify or round out my perspective? So learning how to do that. And that starts with just simply listening, being able to reflect back what you just heard. Taking notes is a really good practice. It slows our brain down so that we aren't listening with the intent to reply. (laughs) We're listening with the intent to understand and be influenced. So perspective taking, Uh, That judgment piece comes back in here. So again, if we understand where we judge ourselves the harshest, we can be on the lookout for those situations and challenges in others where we might go, oh man, this is where I really, this is where I really need to watch myself because if I, I'm aware that I could judge you harshly here and that would not be the, that would not be empathetic right? A funny story. So even just getting connected to to record this podcast, I was a few minutes late. And that's an area I judge myself very harshly is around being on time and being prepared and not having things go wrong and right being very professional. (laughs) And so I'm noticing as I'm, you know, the minutes are ticking by and I can't get connected. I'm noticing this emotion come up in me and I'm starting that inner self talk is like, you know, Aaron, you should have been more prepared and you should have done this and see, here you are again and you're late. And it's like just being able to recognize that and go, whoa, time out. Like you can take a break. This Mm -hmm. is going to be okay. Right. Because if I can do that with myself, the next time somebody walks in five minutes late from a meeting because they had connection issues, I'm now able to actually sit and understand their perspective. So that, that perspective and that judgment is so huge. And then the more work we do with our own emotional landscapes and understanding how we're feeling and developing vocabulary and being able to express it, then the easier it's going to be to sit and do that with other people and not get swept away in it, but just accept it for what it is. 
And, you know, I love that you told the story even about being late because I, I think I was actually talking to a group not too long ago at work about, you know, emotional intelligence and about being empathetic with others. And an example I have is that most of the time I can be pretty even tempered, but on the road, I get a little bit of road rage and I say yeah. some really not nice things. And I had somebody one day make the comment of thinking about it in terms of, well, maybe this person is rushing to the hospital. Maybe they have something going on or they had something really difficult happen in their lives and they just did something boneheaded on the road. Because most of the time, I mean, we have all done something at some point that we would judge really? others for doing. And I, I do think a lot of the time, too, the things that we judge others for, when I find myself being really judgmental of certain people, a lot of times they really are holding up a mirror to something that I do that I judge myself for. Absolutely. And that's the moments you want to watch for because that's your biggest, um, how do I want to say this? That's like, if you can unlock that key and really start to be grateful for those moments where you feel that strong judgment because it's actually giving you some information about yourself and it's a huge area of opportunity for you to develop some, um, is to practice that empathy muscle, right? What else could be going on here that I might be missing, right? It's then that's exactly what you're doing with the, the road stories, right? It's like, what else could be going on here that would explain why they just cut me off in traffic or, you know, why they didn't use their signal light or why they're going 60 instead of 70 or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. It's like, you know, because our immediate thing, our brains are hardwired to make things make sense. We take in tons of data all day long. And if we had to sit and like wonder about each of those pieces of data, we would be exhausted, so mm -hmm. the brain works very quickly to take a whole bunch of data and make it make sense. Now, often the stories that it makes up about that data are completely inaccurate, but mm -hmm. we believe them as if they were truths. Mm -hmm. And so this practice of empathy is just really getting practiced in, this is just a story, right? My brain has taken a bunch of data. It has made up a story. I have no idea if it's true or not. So let's get curious about it and start to explore. I think that's such a great point. And just it's really is so important to be thinking about the other person's perspective, really, in any of these situations, we come to so many disagreements over differences yeah. in perspective, where ultimately, it really is not earth shattering, but we see it as such a big difference. Well, and I think people think that so a couple points, people see that think that empathy means that you have to agree or endorse the other idea mm -hmm. or the feeling. And that's not it at all. You just need to acknowledge and understand. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can sit across from you, you could say a very controversial thing to me that we might want to get in an argument about, or I can just say, thank you for sharing your perspective with me. I can demonstrate empathy without agreeing with you 100%. And if we haven't done our inner work, and we can't connect to these feelings that we have, it's going to be much harder for us to connect to those feelings in other people. Because in or that is the practice of empathy is I have to be able to connect to something in me that is similar to what's going on in you. So if you're dealing with something particularly difficult or vulnerable or traumatic that I don't want to see in myself, I'm going to have a much harder time practicing empathy with you, which is why this is an inside job. Like 100% being able to practice empathy starts inside. That's a great point. And I really think it was important what you shared that we can acknowledge and understand one another without having to agree. You know, in the US, we had a very contentious election, for example, right. and that people on both sides, the, the stress levels were through the roof. I think for adults, probably throughout the world, I think that it was a stressful thing for a lot of people. Oh, we certainly felt it in Canada. I mean, Absolutely. Right? like our next door neighbors and it, you know, and we had the same thing, the pandemic, like pick an issue, mm -hmm. racism, the pandemic, uh, women in the workforce, like you name it mm. these days, there's enough social justice issues, politics, religion, any of these topics where people have very divided opinions doesn't mean that we can't practice empathy with people that are different from us. It just takes a different skill set. Because our, our tendency is, want, is wanting to go and agree and to persuade and to change. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I I do think that's an important skill to have. It's something I'm certainly working on. It can be very challenging with some of these very big issues. And then in the workforce too, even, you know, on a smaller level, even my perspective on a project versus somebody else and how we each might think that something might look good on a website or how we approach a different problem. But I'd love to know too, when you are leading, I think one of the criticisms that that we often get when we do lead with emotion and when we bring emotion to the table, and this was a question that um, that a listener had as well, was that it can be perceived sometimes, you know, as a weakness. And I don't necessarily think that is true. But one of our listeners did ask how we can lead with empathy while making sure that we're not, you know, a doormat. Yeah, absolutely. And again, empathy is understanding, right? Mm-hmm. So if we think this, it's about changing how we define the word, right? We used to think that empathy was weakness, right? That's the definition that we're all operating from in this outdated leadership paradigm that says, be tough, have a game face, never let them see you sweat kind of belief set. And we know that all that does is drive disconnection and a lack of engagement And people don't feel like they can bring their whole selves to work. It doesn't help us get more diversity of thought, of race, of color, religion, background, cultural. It doesn't get any sort of diversity metrics to the table at all Mm -hmm. when we we operate from that paradigm. And so it's about changing that definition where empathy is not weakness. Empathy is understanding. So I can practice empathy because it means that I'm understanding my team. It doesn't mean that I have to agree. So again... It's not agreement, so I don't need to be walked all over, right? Mm -hmm. I can still be boundaried. I can still set goals and expectations. I can still work towards a result. What it means is I'm going to be more understanding as we get there. So if you're dealing with something at home and need a different way to engage in the project or dealing with something in your life and you need something different to be successful in reaching that goal... I can take the time to understand and then support you in figuring out what that looks like. But it doesn't mean I have to be a doormat and you take advantage of me. And I think most of the time when we do have someone who expresses that, you know, that understanding for us that maybe sometimes go out on a limb for us when we when we are struggling or I I think that gives as a team member, it gives you, I think, more respect for that leader. I, I have a really great boss that will stand up for, you know, will listen to us and will stand up for us when the need comes or if we have something going on. And that's a reason for longevity on my particular team. And it's something that really means a lot to the people working for you. Absolutely. I had this experience one time with a director. Uh, My daughter was in grade six. She had just got um, a medical diagnosis for ADHD and some learning disabilities. It was a huge hit to my, you know, my identity as a mom and as a working mom. And I was in a really rough spot. Anyway, we, my husband and I got through kind of that initial shock. We built a plan and I, it ended up that I needed some time off work. And I went to my director saying, I think I have to quit my job to take care of, you know, my daughter and to deal with this kind of blip on the radar, if you will, that's happened in my life. And it was so amazing to me, because he was able to sit and listen, understand, and then said, you know, Aaron, there's some different programs that we have here that you might be able to access. And I don't think you need to quit your job. I think maybe like a leap of absence or some medical leave. And he had all of these other options that I had never even thought of or knew of and was really able to support me in that because he took the time to listen and understand what I was dealing with. He was able to then point me in some different directions, which felt very supportive at the time. And I ended up going back to work for him when it was all over because I just was like, yeah, you get it, right? Now Mm -hmm. I want to come and, you know, I want to like hook to this star or, you know, to this ship or, you know, whatever and and engage with you because, because you took the time to understand. He didn't feel like he had to fix it. He didn't take on all my problems, but he definitely took the time to understand, was able to connect to some of these feelings. He was a father too. His kids had similar things, but not exactly the same thing as my daughter. So there was this shared, we, you know, he sat through the emotion with me. He didn't say I was too emotional. Like I never got that feedback, right? He was able and had that capacity to just practice empathy, to meet me where I was and to acknowledge and to understand. And then together we built a plan and move forward. 
So no doormats, no weaknesses, you know, Mm -hmm. none of that was present in that interaction. And so I think such a big part of allowing ourselves to practice empathy is redefining it and moving away from it's weak and messy to it's understanding and boundaried. I think that's such a great point. And what a fantastic boss to be able to provide those resources and options rather than, well, that's too bad. Because I think there are so many people, unfortunately, who are out there like that. But to be able to practice empathy in that moment and you had that great working relationship that kind of moving forward. And I think I think this really plays into a lot of the difficult conversations we have. I think many of us kind of struggle or maybe want to avoid some of those difficult conversations and kind of getting vulnerable, especially in the workplace, because as as you've mentioned, the criticism of being too emotional, being a doormat, letting, you know, showing too much of yourself in a professional environment, I think that can be really kind of a tricky thing to navigate. What are your tips for navigating those difficult conversations in a, in a working scenario? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, I do a lot of coaching and courses on difficult conversations. So this could be a whole separate topic. However, you know, I think again, it starts with, we often go into these conversations really rooted in our own perspective that it's right, quote unquote, right? Like there's a side and you're either either on my side or you're off my side. And the first step is really realizing that we have a perspective And certainly there are a set of facts, but largely what is driving our feelings around this difficult conversation is the story we've made up about those facts. And the other person on the other side of the table will have the same facts and have made up a completely separate story and different story and have a different set of feelings and beliefs around it. And so the work is in how do I honestly and boldly tell you what my perspective is and stay humble enough and curious enough to allow you to express yours and to put it into the conversation. I, I mean, I think that's so important and something that so many of us avoid altogether, I think, if we if we can help it. We recently had our all-employee meeting with some breakout sessions, and one of them was on navigating difficult conversations. And when they asked people in the room to kind of rate from one to 10, one being the least comfortable, 10 being the most comfortable, we did have an eight at our table. But for the most part, pe- most people kind of landed around a four, five, six. I think I'm a two. Yeah. And, you know, I will avoid it altogether and take on all the feelings myself and do that quietly. I'm kind of on the the spectrum of not really express anything and then let it bubble over and it will yeah. bubble over in all the wrong places. It's of not course. even at work. It ends up being with your personal life, too. It does. Yeah. How do we develop the, I, I would say, bravery to step forward and to even have the conversations? Again, it's like a muscle that you need to build. So you start small, right? You start with one kind of lower risk conversation where, especially for someone like yourself who is on the the end of the spectrum of really staying silent or minimizing your opinion, your beliefs, your, your presence in that difficult conversation, recognizing first of all, that that's just your, it's a primal response, right? It's your brain scanning Mm -hmm. for danger and it's seeing that colleague or that project or that issue or that, you know, whatever it is as a threat to your physical safety. And it's not, mm-hmm. right? Our DNA is not caught up with our modern world. We still have mm-hmm. 4 million year old DNA in us. And our brains don't decipher between the lion attacking us or the colleague yelling at us. It sees them as exactly the same thing. So the first thing is, is just to recognize that. And, you know, it starts with awareness. So what are the things that pull you into those emotional responses? So either in, in your case, you know, wanting to minimize and in someone else's case, wanting to win or dominate the conversation, right? Because those are kind of the two, it's the flight or the fight response that we get pulled into when we sense that danger in the conflict or in that difficult conversation. And so really knowing that like, hey, there is no danger here. It's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but it's not dangerous. And there's a big difference. So we have to, you know, remind our brains I'm feeling discomfort because yeah, it's hard to talk about these things and it's awkward. And there's something, usually there's like a difference of opinions. There's usually something to lose. There's like high stakes. And so it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's not dangerous. 
And so if we can recognize that, we can start to then choose how we want to show up. And for you, it's just like, you know, and, and for listeners, it's taking that one step forward towards either representing your point of view a little bit more and being mm-hmm. able to learn how to say, hey, this is what I think. And I'm curious about what others are thinking. And for those people that want to win or dominate the conversations who go into fight mode, for them to learn how to say, I might not have all of the facts that I need to, to make this decision. And my, my point of view might not be right. So help me see what I'm missing. I think that makes a lot of sense and definitely something I'm working toward. You know, I I think I used to be probably a one on that scale. Um, And one thing that I did recently that I found to kind of, you know, minimize the the risk a little bit too. I think anytime you're having one of these issues and it's with a superior, I think that can also make the conversation maybe a little scarier. Oh, it does. Yep. So one thing that I did not too long ago that I found really helpful for me was when I was having some some difficulties with a superior in my situation, I spoke with my boss directly and told her, this is kind of what I'm experiencing. This is how I'm feeling, what I'm going through, really to kind of help to, <laughs> to manage, you know, what my workload was going to look like. And um, but also to kind of share, hey, this is how this project is going and, you know, how I'm feeling about it and actually bringing her into the equation and having sometimes that third party was very helpful. I'm doing much better on on that project itself, but I feel like that was a way to minimize it a little bit while still, you know, sharing and being vulnerable in that particular situation and to kind of bring that forward. Do you have any other advice for when you are dealing with, you know, one of those situations and it is with maybe a superior in your organization? Yeah, I think to recognize, so first things first, they also have the fight or flight response. So if they perceive that you're there to attack, threaten, disrespect, like if they feel any of that in that conversation, they could be pushed into fight or flight mode. And if they have power over you, more often than not, what will happen is they will use that power card to put you in your place and to shut you up, right? It's not, but it's not because we have to recognize that it's less about what you're saying and more about the fact that they don't feel safe, just like you don't feel safe, right? It's kind of like when you put two animals, like two dogs that don't know each other, they're checking each (laughs) other out, right? And if they both feel safe, it'll be okay. And if they don't, they're going to go and they're going to fight. And so, so recognizing first and foremost, that they're hum- our leaders are human beings, just like we are, and they have the same reflexes and instincts as we do. So making sure that they understand why you're there. And this took me, this was like eye opening for me when I realized, as I was working with senior leaders in my organization, holy cow, there are things that I talk about and ways that I approach them that make them feel like I'm threatening them. And it's not my intention at all. And I never would have thought that a senior leader would have been threatened by me. Like, my God, you could fire me if you wanted to, right? So like, why are you threatened by me? But it's true. They're human beings just like the rest of us. So the advice is to really recognize that and to make sure that when you go and have that conversation that you're stating your intent up front, right? I'm not here to second guess you. I'm here to better understand why we're implementing this policy. I'm not here to, like, whatever the misunderstanding might be, you got to think about it ahead of time and go, how might this conversation I want to open up with this person be misunderstood? And then you can clear that up ahead of time. I'm not here to, you know, second guess your decision making. And I see you as the decision maker on our team. What I'm curious about is what went into this decision because there's some things that I feel like might have been missed or something like that, right? I'm just mm-hmm. trying to give a few examples for the listeners. So really clearing up that misunderstanding up front is such a key part, especially when we're dealing with our superiors or the leaders inside our organization. Now, it also works the same way if you're having a conversation with a team member because the team member might misunderstand your intent as you're there to fire them or reprimand them or blame them for something that went wrong. So as leaders, we also have to make sure that when we go into these difficult conversations, we really state that intention up front. I'm not here to place blame. What I want to do is find out what went wrong so we can avoid it in the future. I think that's really important. And just even thinking about them as a human being like ourselves, um, because again, we do not always, but we we tend to cut ourselves some slack for the situation going on and for what's going on internally. 
But for the other person, we're not necessarily thinking that, hey, they might be feeling threatened. And I do think oftentimes when somebody does come to you with, you know, any kind of disagreement or misunderstanding, it's really easy to feel threatened. I Oh, yeah. You know, I was corrected on something not too long ago by a peer that I was mortified and I tried to double down, which I don't normally do. And I was wrong. And it was something that I had to really kind of step back and (laughs) kind of humble myself a little bit. But it was so easy to feel threatened by such a, and that was such a tiny example of it. But I think in any power structure, even with your peers, it, it, it really can feel like an attack when it's simply, you know, a question or maybe a misunderstanding or something like that. Absolutely. And we have different tendencies in different groups. So for me, and I'll just share from my examples, like with my kids, I find that I go more towards being right and winning and I go into fight mode first. With my husband, I'll go into flight mode. So I'll get quiet and minimize my meaning and pull out of conversations because I don't want the conflict. At work, with my superiors, I would go into minimizing behaviors and staying silent with my team members or with subtrades in the construction industry, I would go more into I'm ready to put up a fight because I think I'm right and I want to win mm-hmm. and I need to prove that I have this leadership position for a reason. And so really becoming aware of and catching on to which situations draw what from you is really important because then you can start to go, okay, I'm going into a conversation with my boss. I know my tendency is going to be to minimize. So how do I prep to understand to really stay candid in this conversation and make sure that I contribute to it. Or I have to have a conversation with my 17-year-old daughter tonight. How do I make sure I don't go into like power trip in mom mode and totally shut mm-hmm. her down? Yeah, I think it's important to be keeping that in mind. And I didn't even think about how the different situations and different groups we work with in such different ways, but it is very true how I react to different people in my life mm-hmm. and, you know, different areas and just how the situations really differ for me too. So I I do think that is really important to be aware of and something that I'll start paying a little bit more attention to that I hadn't really yeah. thought about. Now you've written about empathy. You have a business around empathy and leading with empathy. And I'd love to know a little bit more about your book and what inspired you to write it and what what readers can expect to find from it. Yeah. So what inspired it? I didn't set out to write a book. I set out to start speaking about my experiences in the construction world as an engineer, as a female, as a mom, and kind of shared some of my lessons as I worked through this emotional feedback I was given. And as I started writing and writing and writing and writing, it just became this book and was encouraged by one of my mentors to see if I could publish it. And I did. And so it's one of those things that I look back now and I'm like, I never really had this dream to publish a book, but now that it's there, I have been completely bitten by the author bug and have quite a few different projects on the go. As far as Inside Out Empathy goes, what readers can expect, this is this is the book that I wish I had when I was a first brand new leader. So it's not complex leadership theory, it's real life stories about my journey and my lessons with a few practices to get started. And so it's it's an easy read, but I have found that the feedback is, you know, that it's also really real. I also, which, so here's surprising, I wrote it for women, and I say that right in the introduction, but I've had a number of men read it that are in my network because I work in a male-dominated industry that have come back and said, I finally get what this is about. So for whatever... Wow. Whatever, however I wrote it, and I still don't really know what I did, but however I wrote it and however I talk about empathy and just leading uh, with empathy, it's made it accessible to those that identify, uh, you know, with more of that masculine paradigm, which is kind of a nice bonus because I didn't set out to do that. I think that's so cool because, Mm -hmm. you know, I, men and women can benefit from this. I think women we have that empathy to begin with and we're told to kind of squash it. Mm-hmm. You know, I spoke with someone not too long ago about negotiation tactics as well. And so often for women in my negotiation classes in grad school, I remember that when I had a negotiation, mock negotiation with a female student versus a male student, the guys always gave us a hard time because we would come to these really creative solutions to things and neither person was really looking to win, but we were like, well, how can we really 
Uh, yeah. You know, what are some things we can do that will benefit all of us? And we would come up with things that were not really an option in the script that we were given, but things that we thought would be beneficial to both parties. And so often, and I think this is why I was so reluctant to negotiate in the beginning. And I ended up, while I don't think of myself as a negotiator, I've gotten to be good at it is because I think for so long we think about, you know, in the workplace and I think for men, especially, it really is about my opinion is right. What I want, I need to get as much as I can from the other person. And this is not all men. And I've had some wonderful male leaders, but there is sometimes that masculine mentality with that. And I think to really recognize the value of both sides and to hold space for the other party, even when we don't agree. And sometimes you can find some value in what they have to say and kind of work with both. So while I think that this is really, really helpful for women who have been kind of pushed down on this, it's a great skill that men in the workforce as well can really take with them. And I mean, the the boss that you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, was practicing this. And so to be able to instill that. Absolutely. And definitely wasn't a weak leader by any means, Mm -hmm. was well respected. And and I think that's what we're seeing is just, um, you know, there is this sort of changing of the guard in the leadership paradigms right now, where we realize that this ability to practice empathy, this ability to connect emotionally, to not just focus on the widgets, the productivity, the numbers, the results, that it takes kind of this balanced approach to mm-hmm. leading, it's it's coming, you know, and it's slowly filtering into organizations. And certainly our, our younger generations are demanding it of us as leaders. Mm-hmm. And with all of the options available to them now with remote and online work, organizations are going to be forced to catch up to be able to retain top talent. So there there is the momentum gaining behind this and and pretty soon it's going to be something that we cannot ignore. I completely agree. I mean, if your people are not happy, they're not going to perform at their best and they're going to nope. leave. Yep. And they can now because there's so many options. I mean, the great resignation. Well, I know that's a whole other topic. You know, the pandemic (laughs) has been challenging on a lot of fronts and it's been such an opportunity for people. So that's a bit about my book and my business. Yeah, I do leadership development, training, coaching and speaking for organizations, entrepreneurs, conferences, groups, just about anybody who wants to do the work. I think that's incredible and just so needed, especially in the changing environment that we're living in. Yeah, it is. Now, I would love to switch gears a little bit and ask you just a few of our rapid fire questions so the listeners can get to know you a little bit more. (laughs) Sure. Awesome. Now, what would you say is your top wellness tip? Oh, for me, it's sleeping. Just there's nothing better than a good night's sleep. And when I don't sleep, I don't feel well almost immediately. A hundred percent. That's something mm-hmm. I've been working toward and I've noticed such a huge difference in just my energy levels and yeah. all of that. Where is your favorite travel destination? Oh my goodness. Travel. Isn't that a novel <laughs> thought? Where is my favorite travel destination? I would say for me, it's anywhere with a beach. I really, maybe it's because I live in Canada, but I enjoy being by water and in the sunshine. Do you have a favorite beach? Oh, I don't. I mean, I don't think I've been. Oh, I, I don't think I know I haven't been to all the beaches of the world. So I think once <laughs> I am able to, you know, more freely travel, that is definitely on the top of my list. Well, if you need any beach recommendations in the state of Florida, I'm more than happy okay, to assist. Perfect. Yes. I will be in touch, Valerie. Yes. Yes. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Oh, my goodness. The first one that came to mind as I'm sitting here is I would be a bear because I love to hibernate in winter. Oh, yes. I do. I love curling up with a good book and a fireplace and a hot cup of tea or a nice glass of wine and just being cozy. That sounds like the perfect night. Mm-hmm. If you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? Pottery. I have a secret dream to like become a potter. That's amazing. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I keep threatening to turn the garage into a pottery studio, but so far it hasn't happened. <laughs> I was going to say it would have been a great pandemic, you know, I activity. Know, right? right? Yeah. I missed my opportunity. 
you still you still should try it. I think, I think it, so. Yeah. And what's next for you on your bucket list? Oh man, on my bucket list. Hmm. This is a good question. I feel like the bucket list has kind of taken a hit in this pandemic, let me tell you. Yeah. I think my husband and I are getting to the stage where our daughter, our oldest daughter is 17. And so she's going to be the first one to leave home. And I really feel like these next five years, as we watch the kids kind of grow and leave primary school and leave is, is, you know, really kind of redefining our relationship and figuring out what we want, what we want this empty nest or kind of thing to look like. Uh, we get glimpses of it every now and then. And it's sort of like, huh. Imagine it just being us again. This is kind of crazy. Yeah, I, that's it's a huge change, I'm sure. It is, and it came a lot faster than I thought it was going to, and it is really exciting, and I am looking forward to it. And so I, I know there will be travel and probably new hobbies and, uh, and just getting to figure that out because the last time we were single, we were in our early 20s, so that's not the same anymore. Absolutely. It's, it's exciting though. And it, mm-hmm. it'll be a great opportunity to be thinking about some of those things. Maybe the pottery as Maybe well. the pottery. Maybe we'll <laughs> do it together. Who knows? Yes. Well, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Erin, it's been such a blast chatting with you. There are about five of these topics I could have done. We, I think we could have done a whole episode <laughs> on. Um, Happy to come back. Happy to come back. Well, I will definitely be taking you up on that. Where can our listeners find you, find your book, and just connect? Yeah, uh, probably best place to start is my website. So www.erinthorpe.ca. Uh, my book is available on Amazon uh, in all the Amazon countries that are around. So just if you search Inside Out Empathy, Aaron Thorpe, you will find that very quickly. Uh, it's also available wherever books are sold. You can usually find a way to get it in there. And um, yeah, I'm on all the usual, well, I say all the usual, but Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, those social platforms. Um, I haven't quite ventured into some of the newer, the newer platforms just yet. I find TikTok to be a little scary, so I I don't blame you. I do too, especially my kids spend a lot of time there. And uh, yeah, so I'm just sort of like, "Mm, it's not quite my thing just yet. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to link all of this in the show notes so that listeners can find you, connect with your work and and learn a little bit more. But truly, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing with us today. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. I look forward to to many more episodes and digging into some of these other conversations. I loved chatting with Erin and learning her tips for becoming a more empathetic leader and human. Her container analogy really spoke to me as someone who constantly struggles with taking on the feelings of everybody in the room. And I'm really looking forward to creating that boundary and implementing that container in my future interactions. Now, whether you're a leader in your organization or not, her advice is so important for all of us as we navigate our relationships, and I hope that each and every one of us listening can incorporate just a little more empathy into our own lives in the future. It really does make the world a better place. So I have linked all of Erin's information in the show notes along with where you can purchase her book. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week and for being a part of this community. If you have a topic you'd like us to explore in a future episode, as always, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at wellness and wanderlust blog, and you can email me as well at Valerie at wellness and wanderlust.net. Please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. If you haven't already, it makes a huge difference and only takes just a few moments out of your day. If you find yourself tuning in from week to week, I would be so honored if you leave a review. I hope you all have a wonderful day. I cannot wait to see you next week.